we all have our own path to walk. It may be obstructed, it may be winding, and no doubt it will have peaks and valleys, but it is ours alone. Like onlookers at a marathon, friends and family can offer encouragement along the way, but ultimately we decide the trajectory that we take. In this series, Juliet Doris Williams offers a clear view from her path that may inform your decisions as you move toward finding your faith. One part spirituality, one part real world practicality, and a serious splash of fun. Here's Juliet. Hi, I'm Juliet, and welcome to Finding Faith. I'm the author of two books, one of which is Leaving Church, Finding Faith, Six Steps for Discovering Your Purpose in the World After Leaving the Christian Church, and the primary focus of this podcast. You can find both books and how to contact me on my website at julietdoriswilliams.com. And I am here in this space chatting with you about the book and other things that may bubble up when we are talking about faith and life and how those two things intersect. Because if you are at all like me, they always, always intersect. Welcome back, friends. Way back in September of the now and forever infamous year of 2020, I did a couple of podcast episodes answering a question asked of me at the time is community necessary in both of those episodes looking at community from a few different angles my answer to that question was yes and that is still my final answer even more so now in the second month of a new year it is even more so now In my book, I have a chapter entitled The Universal Community, and I make a distinction between that and the universal church, which is a real organized religion, and the church universal, which is what organized Christianity references as the entirety of Christendom, although I don't think it necessarily includes includes those of us who who call ourselves followers of the way of Jesus and have actually left the Christian church. It might, but I don't think so. In my book, I reference the universal community as the world that God so loves. As referenced in the third chapter, 16th verse of the gospel of John, God so loved the world. It's, it's a fairly familiar verse, especially to sports fans, I think, as there always seems to be some type of reference to this verse on a huge banner hanging very visibly in the crowd. That was always curious to me, frankly, what was their goal in hanging that banner? Was it their intention to proselytize? I mean, who were these people? Were, were there, was, there, was it to recruit people for their church for their movement, or was it a protest of some sort? I had so many questions. And, you know, coming from a fundamentalist background, I can easily see why it could have been a protest against this worldly pursuit or activity of sports. I don't know. It could have been a completely innocent and welcoming reminder that God loves us, which would have been, which is, let me say, is very cool in my book because that is a universal truth. God loves us. As a 
self-described hashtag churchy girl who is a reader, studier, teacher, preacher of the Christian holy book, i.e. the Holy Bible. There is story after story, scripture after scripture of how God loves us. Yes, there's lots of bloody references of killing and stoning and and war and bloodshed, imbalance of power between classes and genders, but there is also plenty of reckoning, plenty of retrospective that come with the outcome of these stories. There is quite a bit of storytelling about these awful things that happened, clearing the path for this purposeful thing that is needed farther down the road a century or two. And yes, of course, I'm making up that timeline, but it's not far from the imagination uh, given the biblical scholarship. However, for students of the Holy Bible, there is a clear repetitive cycle, which indicates that we humans are slow learners. An overriding theme that always jumped out at me was of God's patience with her creation. That we humans will go our own way. We will move through the world with our own thoughts, with our own devices, utilizing our own tools. And when we fail, the lessons we learned will somehow serve the present moment. And we will know that it was that past experience that equipped us for this moment in time. Ianla Van Zant says these always impactful words, all things are lessons God would have us learn. I suspect, I hope, that in a year or two, maybe a little longer, we who have survived a global pandemic will look back on these years as lessons of prep work for the challenges yet to come. Because you got to think, we are doing the hard things, the necessary things to survive. Most of us are. Whatever we are learning now will serve us for the challenges yet to come. One of the things that we mostly know now is why community is so important. Not just any community, community mind you, but a community that supports you, feeds you, and illuminates the path forward for you. We now have um, a newish term referencing our bubble, that group of humans that we either live with or that we have a united pact with, that we each are taking seriously our responsibility to protect our health by doing all the recommended things. Because when we do all the things to protect ourselves, then that means we are also protecting those others inside our bubble. It's to keep a deadly disease out so that everyone inside will remain safe, healthy, alive. But what if we're talking about the disease of hate, the disease of division, the disease that distinguishes one set of humans from another set of humans? I think it still applies. Is it bad to want or need a bubble? No, absolutely not. Again, we need community. We are hardwired for community, for connection. 
And it's hard out there to find connection, but it's not impossible. We have to be open. We have to open ourselves to the possibilities. Present day circumstances aside, we all need connection. We need a bubble. I've seen lately, seen many references to Zoom fatigue. I have started referencing days on my calendar as virtual days. And virtual days are days that I usually work from home and assure that I am waste up professional for my virtual interactions with colleagues and others that I need to dialogue with. I now also have human connection days where I show up at the day job where I am sadly required to be professional head to toe. I also am required to be masked, willingly submit to having my temperature taken and appropriately respond to COVID safety protocol questions. I find that despite having to wear pants on those days, I am happy to endure these things because it keeps me cognizant of the broader reality and of my responsibility to these other humans that I interact with. My actions directly affect those people in front of me. And this is how you know that your community, your connections, your bubble is safe and nurturing. The people in it know that their actions have a direct impact on you. This is how you know that your connection, your community, your group, your bubble is good for you. These humans know and understand that what they do apart from you can have an impact on you when you come together again. And if you are in a group, in a community that requires you to shut down part of yourself to, in order to fit in or to stay in, requires you to look over, ignore, forgive things that are potentially unhealthy or unsafe for you or unsafe for others you may have connection with, relearn this word, toxic. Toxic, which is something poisonous, something harmful, something that will cause you to become ill, physically ill if you ingest it, spiritually or emotionally ill when that connection, that community is less than completely loving, accepting, and welcoming. Sadly, we often don't know that, don't really know that until we have severed the connection, we've left the community, the relationship, the church, the job, the bubble. In most cases, this is how we learn retrospectively. I would invite you, dear listener, to take stock of your bubble. Does it feed you? Does it inspire you? Is it it concerned for your health and well-being? Is it not only with you, but also for you. Do they see you? When I say see, I don't mean seeing if you are wearing jeans or sweatpants. I mean, see you, really see you. Years ago, while in social work school, I was prepping to begin my first internship. I had had a troubling and somewhat confusing conversation with the staff during the interview process, but I was determined to shoulder through it. Why? 
because it was a subject matter that I was deeply committed to learning more about. And from my vantage point, I was there to learn and to learn from the so-called experts who were doing this important work. In the final prep meeting with my grad school advisor, she first asked how I was doing. Fine, I said. She then asked a few more questions and we talked a little bit more and then asked me again how I was doing. I'm good, I said. We talked about a few more things. She asked a few more questions and then she asked for the third time, how are you doing? At this point, realizing that this was the third time she asked, I paused, looked directly at her, took a breath and said, okay, I'm not fine. I acknowledged my dis-ease with the placement choice while also reiterating my desire to marshal on. It was only 10 weeks for God's sake. I can learn a lot and maneuver around whatever the troubling concerns are for 10 weeks. To which she said, nope, no, you can't. Because whatever it is you are picking up, I am picking up as well. And I say that this may not be the best place for you to pursue your learning. And because she was a trusted person in my then bubble, I yielded to her advice and sought a different placement. Was there something toxic about my first choice? Don't know. What I do know is that right from the start, I knew there were obstacles that I needed to maneuver around to be successful. And why do I share this story? It is an example of someone seeing me, challenging me, and ultimately validating me and not letting me settle for less than what was best for me at that time in my life. True community, whether that be a community of two or 10 or a community of 100 or more, sees you, knows you, and considers themselves accountable to you. Most importantly, they won't let you hide especially from yourself. Take stock of those in your community, dear listener. Notice how you feel, see, and be in their presence. If they light you up with love and hope and a sense of belonging, then you have found your people. Anything opposite of that, dear listener, is not for you. Find another. Don't settle for less. God loves you. She says you are worthy of that love. You calling God a liar? I don't think so. (laughs) Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Finding Faith.